today on CityCast Philly. It's the Friday News Roundup. We're talking about the saga over some valuable church windows in West Philly. Why a sexual abuse amendment missed its deadline to get on the November ballot. And why advocates want to see Pennsylvania reform the use of psychedelics. It's Friday, August 11th. I'm Trinae Ree, and here's what Philly's talking about. Zoe Greenberg, features reporter at the Philadelphia Inquirer. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Stephen Caruso, Capitol reporter with Spotlight PA. Hey, Stephen. Thanks for having me, Trey. And Ben Seal, welcome back to the show, freelance reporter. Hey, Trinae. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Okay, before we get into some of the news of the week, I want to talk about this story that I saw in the Inquirer. You know, it's still summer. We're about a month away from the start of school. You still have some time to have some fun. Well, Dorney Park is getting its first dive roller coaster next year. It's called the Iron Menace. It travels at speeds of up to 64 miles per hour with a 152-foot vertical drop. Are we fans of this? <laughs> wow, I'm terrified. Same here. <laughs> I don't think I've been on a roller coaster in like 20 years, so it's hard to say, but I, I probably would be terrified if I faced it down. Steven, are you getting on this ride? I think it depends on the group. Like, if the vibes are good, like, I don't know, everyone has a daredevil friend who, like, if they're there, they could probably convince you to do something you shouldn't or normally wouldn't. And, like, that that's what I'm going to go with. The right encouragement, I might just say, yeah, why not? <laughs> I think I would get motion sickness, to be honest. And I'm with you, uh, Ben. I went to um, Universal Studios with the family in Florida last summer, and it it was rough. It was rough. Does anyone have a favorite amusement park in our region? I haven't actually been to this one, but I was very intrigued by my colleague Jason Nark wrote about Knobles, I think is how it's pronounced. It has amazing food and it's free every day. And it has old wooden amusement park games, which actually is kind of terrifying too. <laughs> like carnival games. Well, no, it has like wooden roller coasters. Oh, wooden roller coasters. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Those are <laughs> definitely feeling everything. <laughs> yes, yes. Anyone else um, favorite amusement park in our region? It's actually funny. You know, I, I'm in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. So Knoebels is, uh, you know, that's probably an hour from me. And I've heard great things. I, I think, you know, honestly, wood roller coaster sounds kind of fun. Like they can't do all the crazy stuff that like, you know, twist and turns and ups and downs. It's just like, it's just like, wee. <laughs> so I'm going to go, I'm going to say yes to Knoebels as well. Ben, I think our amusement park would have to be like Hershey Park and not and not the amusement park of Hershey Park, like the factory amusement park of Hershey Park. That's it. My wife is from Hershey and she keeps telling me every year we're going to go to the to Chocolate World and we've never <laughs> gone. Oh, man, we got to go. All right, let's start with some news of the week. Zoe, I want to start with you. There's a church in West Philly that has some very valuable windows, and not just like any windows. These are Tiffany windows. You've covered this story for about a year now. Catch us up. It's not just about the windows. It's getting deeper now. It's about money. What's happening here? Yes, it's a very dramatic saga with these windows. So this church... Uh, it's at 50th in Baltimore. 
It's this big old historic church, and it was sold last summer to a new pastor. His name's William Brownlee. And he wanted to modernize this space. It's like this, you know, gothic, kind of dark, big space. He wanted to make it more modern. So he hired contractors to just take everything out, take the windows out, take the pews out, take the fixtures out. And a salvager named Paul Brown came along and bought a lot of the stuff that Pastor Brownlee had taken out for a low price. So he bought it for like $6,000. He bought all the windows and the fixtures and various things. So then he took the windows to Freeman's, which is an auction house. And it turns out that they're very rare Tiffany glass, as you said. So they were, they're made by the founder of the Tiffany jewelry company. How much are we talking about? Yeah, so they were going to auction for up to $250,000 each. Mm, how many windows were there? There were two very special rose-shaped windows. So those were the ones that went up for auction in the spring. There may be more windows because Paul Brown basically bought up a lot of windows, a lot of fixtures from the church, all part of that $6,000 bundle. But He's only come forward with these two Tiffany Rose windows as part of this first sale. Interesting. So the latest is about who is getting this money. What's the story of this week? Yeah, so basically ever since it became clear that these windows were really valuable, everyone has sort of wanted a, a little piece of them. The pastor and the salvager actually came up with an agreement to share the profits from it because the pastor said, you know, this money should go to the church. It, it came from and I didn't know that they were so valuable. But now um, the bank that owns the mortgage of the church has stepped in and said, actually, we are the real owners of these windows and we should make any money that comes from the sale. I don't understand how the bank thinks that they should get a piece of this of this pot. I know it, it is kind of confusing. <laughs> Basically, they said, you know, these windows are part of the value of the building. And so when we gave a loan, we were including these windows in sort of our estimation for that loan. But actually, nobody knew that they were Tiffany at the time. So it wasn't listed anywhere. Wow. Well, keep us updated on this story. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. Stephen, I want to switch gears and talk about a story that you've been following. You recently reported on how our state legislator has once again failed to deliver a constitutional amendment to allow survivors of childhood sexual abuse to sue their alleged abusers. This is a measure that's failed several times, right? Yeah, it has. I just want to comment that I we're going from Antiques Roadshow to probably one of the most depressing topics in Harrisburg. But this issue has failed to get the votes repeatedly because of a mix of lobbying, mistakes, petty politics, intrigue, everything that could possibly happen in Harrisburg has happened to this issue. Mm. So fundamentally what it is, is that survivors of childhood sexual abuse they can no longer file civil lawsuits. This is like lawsuits for damages against their uh, who who abused them or an institution that shielded them. So think a priest and then like the diocese around them. 
they can no longer file suit after age 30. Survivors have wanted to open up a two-year period where they could then file suits that would technically not be legal. And this has been argued for both, you know, the closure of being able to get out there and get some monetary recompense, but also the whole discovery process could reveal more about how this happened to them, how it was covered up. Are there more victims who haven't seen the light of day? And can you find more justice out there is generally the idea. But you know, money has to come from somewhere. Uh, so insurers have heavily opposed this idea. And Republicans in the General Assembly have also backed that interpretation. Obviously, the Catholic Conference has also lobbied against this. So that's led to just a long back and forth. I started covering Harrisburg in 2018. This issue has consistently been on the agenda and not addressed. And that's because they went through a couple of iterations of how you could get this done. At first, they said, oh, you could just pass a law. Then they transitioned to, no, it has to be a constitutional amendment. And that amendment actually was a, going to be on the ballot in potentially 2021, but there was a the state constitution requires amendments are advertised to voters. Like it's this small okay. thing, mm-hmm. but like it is required that the the state basically put in newspapers around the entire Commonwealth saying, "By the way, you're going to vote on this at some point. This is moving its way to you because the process is that the legislature passes it twice and then voters get a final say in an up or down referendum," and. The Wolf administration failed to advertise it. So all of a sudden, after it looked like this amendment might go before voters and end this issue, they had the reset. So come now to 2023, they've gone through to the point where like it could go to voters. But another stumbling block was hit when Republicans who control the state Senate have said, we're only going to pass this if we tie it to voter ID and basically a measure that would make it easier to override regulations. And the Democratic-controlled House, it flipped in 2022, it said, we're not going to advance it like that. You're using victims as political pawns for your priorities. So without the agreement between the two chambers, this amendment, which has been right on the goal line for a while, is now once again kind of just hung out the dry. So that, that advertising deadline I mentioned, it's passed. So it can't be on the ballot this year in November. It could get on the ballot next year, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll definitely keep our eyes on this story as well. Ben, you recently talked with some advocates in Philly uh, who are pushing for decriminalization of psychedelics. This is from a sort of national movement to use these drugs to help treat depression and post-traumatic stress disorder. Is Pennsylvania moving in this direction as well? I think maybe it would be fair to say slowly. Um, Pennsylvania is as it was described to me, going to be somewhere in the middle of the states that are moving to legalize research or or decriminalize psychedelics or or even legalize them wholesale, as has happened in Colorado and Oregon. But Pennsylvania has made moves in this direction in the legislature in the past. There was a bill last spring that stalled out in committee, but had the support of 10 Republican and 10 Democratic members of the state house. Um, I think there's an expectation that something new will be introduced in the coming year and stands a likelier chance of making it through. And then there's also the the possibility that Philadelphia itself could decriminalize. And I think that perhaps seems like the, the likeliest path in the immediate future for psychedelic reform in our state on some of these issues. Has city council brought this up for a possible hearing or... There is the chance that there will be a hearing and, and some of the folks at Decriminalized Nature Philadelphia who are 
working to get natural psychedelics, those found in plants and, and fungi, decriminalized in the city, as has happened elsewhere, including in places like Connecticut and, and New Jersey. There is an expectation that there will be hearings sometime this fall to discuss this and, and perhaps move on a resolution. It sounds like there have been conversations with the legislative directors of several members of city council who are either on board or at least interested in the topic. And so we'll see what actually comes of it. But it does seem like there's a pretty good chance that we'll be talking more about this in Philadelphia in the fall. I mentioned that you you spoke with some advocates on this topic. There was a local psychedelics conference that you attended, right? What was it like there? Yeah, it was interesting. It was a pretty thorough discussion and dissection of all of the issues around psychedelics. So, you know, coming from the legal perspective, the biological and chemical perspective, pharmacological, really just a whole host of advocates and scientists, social workers, therapists who are interested in the potential for psychedelics to contribute to society in a meaningful way. So a lot of discussion about what psychedelics can do for folks with treatment-resistant depression, for folks with PTSD, even alcohol use disorder and other addiction issues. Psychedelics have, have shown in different studies over the course of decades to be beneficial for all of these different things. There's a lot of research going on right now. And, and so this conference, the Philadelphia Conference, which was hosted at Penn, was really just exploring a lot of the, the state of things right now and where things are headed going forward. Interesting. All right. That was Ben Seal, freelance reporter, Stephen Caruso, Capitol reporter with Spotlight PA. And earlier we spoke with Zoe Greenberg, features reporter at the Philadelphia Inquirer. Thank you all so much for joining me on CityCast Philly this week. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah. Thanks for having us. You can check out all of the stories we talked about in our show notes. It's time for the tip of the week, where we share a life hack for living in Philly. If you're looking for a photo of the Philadelphia skyline, the CityCast Philly team and I came up with a few cool spots. Check out the Gerard Street Bridge, Ben Franklin Parkway, Divine Lorraine Hotel, Bach Bar, Belmont Plateau, and Sierra Green. If you have a tip of the week, we'd love to hear from you too. Call or text us at 215 259 8170. That's all for today here on CityCast Philly. Our lead producer is Laura Benchoff. Our producers are Abby Fritz and Elizabeth Kama. Our Hey Philly newsletter editor is Brittany Valentine. And our host is me, Trinae Nuri. Music is by Philly's own Interminable, with additional music from All the Kimonos and James Weldon. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Philly. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Have a great weekend and be safe. Bye. Bye.